Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. We have just introduced the show today with the sounds of Uta Lemper singing Kurt Weill's Je ne t'aime pas. This was just one of the inspiring vocal pieces that brought my guest today to the realm of becoming a rising star at the Metropolitan Opera. I hear many young singers every day. Some are good with a hint of something special. Some are intelligent with a voice that is perhaps not extraordinary, but their cunning and stagecraft will take them far. And then there is the singer who is simply bound for greatness, one who possesses the supple and rich sound that we all wait for, and then coupled with intelligence, grace, and a certain strength of character, you have a package that will go far. I am thrilled that I can honor my guest, mezzo-soprano Carolina Pilou, with that title. In a world that is flooded with international talent, there are few that are called to rise to the top, and Carolina Pilou is doing just that. One critic has perfectly described her as a statuesque mezzo with a massive and sinfully rich voice. I am happy to introduce Carolina Pilou to center stage. Carolina, to be told you possess a sinfully rich voice. I mean, that's exactly what I would want. And now it's your mantle. You know, after all the work, all the years of study and auditions, wow, how do you feel about that? You know, it's always wonderful to hear. I'm somebody who has struggled a lot with accepting my voice and liking my voice. Um, And to me, it still most of the time sounds very weird when I hear it back recorded. So, yeah, so it's quite nice to, uh, it's wonderful to hear, you know, a warm reception to my sound, uh, and it certainly makes it all worth it. I mean, all the years of trying to fix it and make it better, so... It's quite a wonderful thing. <laughs> so from what you've just said, it's really difficult when you have to go back and listen to your recordings, isn't it? I mean, um, I think all we singers have a hard time listening to ourselves and the finished product. We have a slightly different idea in mind, maybe, about our, our oh, sound? Sure. Yeah, and I think also, with, particularly with um, sort of larger voices, mm-hmm. they definitely don't record as well. Um, so that's another factor to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, high notes can sound, depending on where you record them, you know, you have one idea in your head and then you hear something else and you just have to trust that maybe it's the recording or maybe as long as people are enjoying it, it's okay. And as long as you're trying to get better, that's all that matters. Oh, absolutely. And are you getting better all the time, my dear? I mean, from when I first heard you several years ago, I think with the Little Orchestra Society of yes. New York, 
And I was so impressed with your singing and the warmth and this this beautiful, as another critic has put it, chocolatey sound. Um, it's it's indeed divine. Uh, you've come a long way, baby. Well, Tony Manoli. <laughs> <laughs> Our good friend Tony Manoli. Yep, the coach yes. who can do wonders, and he indeed has done for you. Um, so how many years have you been working towards all of your achievements, Carolina? I mean, I, I, I know that you grew up in, in Greece. You're, you're Greek yourself. Um, what was it like growing up in Greece? Um, your mom and dad, were they supportive? Did you always very, know you were going very. to be a singer? They were extremely supportive, and I'm so lucky. I know I'm sort of in the minority. I mean, my mom was, uh, you know, a little bit worried when I announced it to her after my first singing lesson at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, after just one lesson, that this is it, I'm going to be a soprano. Little did I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was not going to be the plan. Little did you but, know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, you know, she thought, oh, gosh, you know, are you sure about this? Is that even a profession? But, you know, they saw that I was extremely... Um, passionate about this, and mm-hmm. there was no other option for me. That was it. So they were very, very supportive, and um, my dad was thrilled, and he helped me sort of uh, find my path and, and plan out, you know, what I should, how I should go about it in terms of education and where is the best place for me to be in. And my mom was extremely supportive through the very, very difficult times of, you know, which for me was up to maybe two years ago, just consistent rejection, you know, so that oh. would make it 16 years out of the 18 years that I've been trying to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very, very lucky. You I are indeed. a lot of support. I mean, one of your compatriots, your famous compatriots, Maria Callas, was known to have had an unhappy childhood within her family, and you are exactly the opposite, I'm, I'm pleased to say. Um, you, you went on to study in London at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Uh, this is a school which I have much admiration for, and um, I believe that Robert Dean was oh. your teacher there, and he was very special yes. to you in your life. How, how, how special? special me. I mean, he first of all, he's, I owe him so much. I consider him to be probably my biggest mentor and supporter, and he just has my, my heart is with him all the time. Um, oh. He, you know, I went to Guildhall, and it was it is really a fantastic, terrific place to be. However, it was absolutely the wrong choice for me. Studying in London was, you know, in in a way the best and the worst choice I could have made. Really? Um, it is really not a place for a voice like me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I'm totally out of, out of the norm there, and they did not know what to do with me, and um, it was horrible. I mean, the least I can tell you is that they would just... Um, borderline passed me in my singing exams. It was horrible. So Really? Um, it was, yeah. It was really, t- I could not even make it to the opera course of our opera department. Um, it was that bad. I mean, I never sang in a master class. It was, it was terrible. So, but having said that, um, that also made me extremely resilient and mm-hmm. it made me, it forced me to find you know, my, that voice that says, you know, you have something special, keep going. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, that's why I think it was the best thing that happened to me. Uh, but there sort of came Robert Dean, because I'd started with another teacher who, in the end, sort of gave up in, on me. And um, I had, you know, gone through all this rejection, and Robert absolutely put me back together and and helped me build my confidence and believe in myself. And he was also 
the reason why I moved to the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, after yeah. a lot of attempts, after I started getting better at singing, um, he thought, well, you know, now I cannot imagine that they're not going to take you. You know, they have to. They just have to. You're mm-hmm. singing so well. And mm-hmm. I could not even make it still to the opera um, course departments of the big schools mm-hmm. or, or any sort of summer programs, nothing. And the final call was just I did an audition for uh, Baba the Turk in Rake's Progress for a very good um, opera program for young singers, and I, I had a fantastic audition, um, and I did not get even the cover for that. And he just said to me, listen, I would love to work with you forever, but if you want to do this, you just have to go. It's to time to go. Yeah, the, You it, have to go. People don't understand your voice here. Just go. This is true. And this is based really on the fact that your your voice is rather large, and yes. it needed a lot of special care. Um, it's a dramatic sound. And let, let's face it, the New Yorkers get that kind of sound, don't they? So, so you came to New York, and you attended Manus Conservatory, yes. where you did quite well. Yes, it was really exactly what Robert had told me. You know, he said people are so much more accepting there and they know what to do. They're not going to be, you're going to be mm-hmm. not right. And he was right. And I came here um, to Manus in 2009, and it was honestly the best educational experience I've ever had. Everybody accepted me, you know, with open arms, uh, treated me like I was this super talented person that they believed in, and they nurtured me and they gave me so many opportunities my first two years in the school at the time was Maestro Colaneri, who was the head of the opera department. Um, and it was just everything I could have asked, asked, asked for, really. Um, oh, that's fantastic. So much support. And still, to this day, he supports me. And he's, you know, he has taken me under his wing. And always, he's always available for feedback and coaching and just wonderful. So all of this has brought you to today, where in 2017, actually, you made your Met Opera debut. Yes. Isn't that exciting? That happened. I still have to (laughs) remind myself that has actually happened. Can you tell us about the experience of singing Berta in The Barber of Seville? Well, it was was magical. It was also terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, I should say at this point that for me which you may not know, uh, singing Berta at the Metropolitan Opera was not only my Metropolitan Opera debut, it was my professional debut, because I had actually not sung a full role with orchestra in a professional opera company before. That was my first time. Wait, wait, this is impossible, yeah. Carolina. I mean, I've heard you in several concerts, but concerts. yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I yeah, thought... and I had done a couple full roles with orchestra, but in summer programs. Right. My first time with a professional opera company. Carolina, this makes this event even that much yes. more pleasurable to boast about. <laughs> yes, yes. I love this. Oh, well, my And gosh. also you can imagine how terrifying. Yes. Um, it's hard to put it to words, really. Surprisingly, it was actually when I went on stage, I had expected to um, to pass out. I thought, <laughs> and, it, and the, the dress rehearsal came, and we had actually a very short rehearsal period because it's a remounted production. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we only had a couple of days on stage, and... Uh, after we went to the dress rehearsal, and I thought I was very determined because, obviously, as you can imagine, at that time I had worked for this for 17 years. Yes, yes. And it was all rejections up to that point. So I thought, well, if anything, I don't know if I'm ever going to sing again after this, if I'm going to make it through this. I just want to make sure that I take it all in and that I remember it all and I capture this moment. And so I was very present throughout all of this. And I remember in the dress rehearsal, I thought it went pretty well. I actually. 
I like most dress rehearsals. You know, I, I barely got any notes. It went very smoothly, and so I, I, I was terrified afterwards. I thought, well, that can only mean one thing. <laughs> it's going to all happen at opening night. This is because I was so calm in the dress rehearsal. That's and I great. thought, this is impossible. I've seen people on that stage with way more experience than me shake on their debuts. And of course, yeah. I've seen that happen so many times. And I'm a naturally very nervous person and very anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is, I can only imagine that I'm going to pass out. There's no way I'm <laughs> going to, it's going to all come down crumbling at some point, And it's going to probably be opening night. And I was not nervous at all. I mean, it's fantastic. It, was, it felt fantastic. right. You know, it was one of those. It was like walking home, finally. It felt like I was in the right place. That's a a beautiful way to put it, Carolina, actually. Wow, it was meant to be. uh, And all of your notices were fabulous. Yes. In fact, every critic was inferring that they wanted to hear more. Uh, So are we going to hear more at the Metropolitan Opera? Well, you know, one hopes. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I went back this um, Karen season Mm -hmm. with more assignments, so I just sang the voice from above in Parsifal, which is a one lovely and important line off stage. It is. I um, was there for the final night. Oh, yeah. yes. I did and, not know that. And, and I must say that I was, uh, first of all, I adore that production. Yes. And to hear you, your voice coming out uh, seemingly of, of the rafters, literally, was divine. You sounded oh, wonderful. Thank you. thank you so much. The entire cast was was indeed uh, fantastic. But how mm-hmm. thrilling to be there. And um, I believe you're coming back and covering uh, next season. Can yes, you tell I'm us about that? I'm very excited. I am coming back to cover my first leading role at the Met, which is super exciting. <laughs> and it's a role that I'm very not only, you know, it's exciting to be covering a leading role for the first time, sure. uh, but also it's a role that I'm very comfortable with and that I really love. Mm-hmm. It's Mistress Quickly in Falstaff. And it's the only role that I've actually so far done twice out of the four roles that I've done so far, I guess. So <laughs> that's quite something. It's um, amazing for me to think that, you know, really your entire role performances are so few. I'm I'm actually, yeah. as the English would say, gobsmacked. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I cannot wait until I have 10 roles so I can just announce it. I'm waiting exactly. for the say I have 10 roles under my belt <laughs> at 35. We can break open the champagne for sure. Yes. <laughs> Listen, a role like Mistress Quickly, um, you know, this takes some mighty fine acting. And I know you have a very strong dramatic background, really, that you built in England, I understand. I did not study acting, but I am somebody that I was, as a child, very much into theater. I mean, I went to the theater a lot. I was, and you know, in, in, I was particularly lucky, obviously, to be growing up in Greece. As you can imagine, we do have pretty um, tremendous actors and, and mm-hmm. all this incredible tradition. Yeah. Um, and I grew up very much going to the theater, you know, and uh, attending all the big summer festivals in Epidaurus and all that. Um, so. And I have a very, very strong connection to text. And for a long time, I thought, you know, maybe I would do something like acting or directing. So even though I didn't study it until, you know, later on through opera school and Dolores Ajik's program, for example, we had quite intensive acting lessons. I consider myself somebody to be predominantly text-driven and really stages. I'm very, very comfortable on stage. That's where I feel it feels right. Well, <laughs> and I, I love the research of it and... That's, character development, all of that. That's so fantastic. Obviously, we're so calm on opening night. We, we, we get yes. it. <laughs> yes. 
Now, you've spoken right. a lot so far about rejection. Let, let's let's touch, touch, touch on this because this is such a big part of being a performer. You know, we deal with more rejection than, than we do with the, um, the, the yeses that come towards us. Um, how do you deal with it, Carolina? How do you stay so positive? Do you have a go-to source? Um, you know, is there something you listen to? Is there music you listen to to keep you motivated? Well, I will say this, and I don't know if that's what you were expecting to hear, but um, I only recently, and I mean in the last couple of years, have mm-hmm. managed to become and to be able to remain positive. For me, when I say that, you know, out of let's say 18 years, six, until I got my med breakthrough, and uh, maybe a few months before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was absolutely not positive. It was bringing me down, and it was horrible, and it was it was extremely hard. I was not one of these people who was handling it mm-hmm. until a couple of years ago. So um, I don't think that there is a way, to, honestly, especially after a certain degree of rejection, I don't think there is a quick fix, as in, you know, a mantra. I mean, and I, I was even lucky enough to have, um, you know, in, an incredible support system of friends, who, who would hear me for hours and hours on Skype, to, you know, crying and, and oh. whinging about what am I doing and I've ruined my life doing this and I've wasted all my life and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. is all this for? And I, and I would have, you know, great, I would hear great advice and my favorite was always, you know, that would work for a few hours but not see me through a whole year, of course. I had right. a very good friend of mine, former ballet dancer, who would say to me, you know, Tell me your news. And I would say, well, no, I have no news. It's, again, 10 out of 10 rejections, you know. And she said, well, you know, but it only takes one yes. And that she kept saying that to me over and over again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was certainly a helpful phrase. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that, you know, obviously I kept going because for other reasons, because it was a very deep um, sort of seed in me, you know, that I, I need to do this. I have something to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it has definitely become easier um, after I got my break, finally. Of <laughs> you know, course, that validation. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. so much a validation, but more that belief. You know, I've had so many teachers, um, and Tony, for example, say to me over the years, you know, it's not going to happen the normal way for you. It's not going to be mm. summer programs and then small, you know, opera courses and small this or that, you know, sea houses. It's probably going to be covering a living wall at a big house. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're going to get your break. And I remember thinking, but that is, yes, we've all heard that story, right? But right. realistically speaking, that just seems impossible. That's, who is going to trust somebody, even if I'm singing really well, and I'm going to be 35, I used to say, and I have zero experience, which is exactly what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Who is going to trust me? I would not trust me to cover <laughs> and go on if I had to go on, if I've never sung before. So after that happened... That has given me, that has now changed my life because honestly, mm-hmm. no matter what happens from now on, I have this belief that everything is possible. And I would hear it before, I just did not really believe it. And now I know that if the Met happened for me the way it did, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. nothing on my resume, you know, <laughs> no experience, right. Right. and a featured role, anything is possible. So now, and I trust me, I have been rejected a lot even <laughs> since the Met. Um, <laughs> It's just not, it doesn't take me down anymore because I know that, you know what, I, I'm not in a position to know how things are planned for me and how things, as long as I'm doing the work, right? That's right. Um, That's that right. That's all you may need. Maybe that I don't sing for another four or five years professionally again, and then the next thing I do leads me into a big 
takes me to a big career that is going to be nonstop after that, or maybe it's not even going to be singing. I don't know, but it just it does not bring me down anymore. I think I think you do need to remain open on that one and just do the work and see what happens. Yeah. You know, I think the the worst part is that we all take our voices personally. And in my intro, I called you great. And I said greatness had come to you in this voice, this beautiful, rich, supple sound. You know, and sometimes we hold on to that as the one thing, you know, that should give us, um, you know, our big break. And oftentimes it is not. And you just have to stay with the process, don't you? Yes. And I think also accepting that, um, and for me, that has made a huge difference, understanding that I have the, and I don't mean to sound, you know, big-headed, but I do, you know, we have this gift, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not only a gift to share with other people, but it's also a gift for myself. Of course. The ability to express myself through music is something that, and I discovered that in my biggest, in my darkest time, right, that this is something that nobody can take away from me. As mm-hmm. long as my voice is still working, mm-hmm. I could end up doing something else, but nobody can, t- professionally, I mean, but nobody can take away from me the joy of singing. You see, um, and that's the greatness I'm talking about, Carolina. That's the real greatness, you see. Yeah. It's within that's fabulous. I want our listeners right now to hear a little bit of Carolina Pilou. This is from Aida. This is La Borita Rivale. very passionate about also supporting your fellow singers. Um, you, you seem to have on Facebook, you're always very active. You're always very passionate about helping others. Um, is, this, is this something, a, a sense of compassion for yourself as you do it? Yes. It's something that I'm, I really am very passionate about that um, mm-hmm. because of the very sort of hard journey that I've had up to here. Mm-hmm. Um, it became very early on, you know, apparent to me that, you know, as the industry is sort of changing into this, you know, uh, more about publicity and the whole package and people having this very intense social media presence, mm, um, yes. people became very um, sort of, what, I don't know what is the right way to put it, diplomatically speaking, but very, well, I guess diplomatic and very, it was all positive and all um you know, all the great things, and I'm blessed to say this, and I'm thrilled to announce that. And I remember that when I was struggling, I could not, I felt like I was alone. And there was, everybody around me was blessed and excited and thrilled all the time. And I I was just in this dark place. Hmm. Uh, And nobody seemed to be talking about their struggles back then. So I remember making this very conscious decision that I will expose all of it, whatever was happening, and at, for the longest time, it was just negative things, in hopes that if I ever were to have a career, people would be inspired. And indeed, even though I don't have a career, you know, even having had that break at the mess, 
I cannot tell you that was the most fulfilling thing about it all, on, yeah. in all honesty. I believe you. Having been flooded mm-hmm. with messages from singers that knew me back in London who had followed <laughs> me through all these years, mm-hmm. who remember me as the reject, you know, the girl who would never be allowed to sing in master classes or never get an opportunity, and then who went to New York and st- still kept, you know, whinging on Facebook about <laughs> not having opportunities and all that, <laughs> suddenly see that perseverance paying off and I hear people say, you know, how inspiring it is, and it, maybe I'm going to give it one more go. And people are so desperate. It's a very difficult industry for most people. Yes, it is. You know. It is. And I, I think because we've been flooded with a lot of singers, um, I mean, internationally, singers are starting younger now. There's better training, um, you know, with, with the reality TV shows, you know, people are jumping on the bandwagon. There's just a lot of competition out there. It is. And it is an, it is an extremely difficult, not just to succeed in it, but also just to find the courage to keep exposing yourself and putting yourself out there and, for me to have, even if one person was touched by that or felt hopeful, you know, that is huge to me because I know firsthand just how difficult this is and to to sort of reassure people that we are all struggling and especially that a lot of people, you know, suffer with mental health issues and mm-hmm. and depression, especially in this mm-hmm. in our field, you know, and for me to, to show, even if it's just one person that will see that, you know, you can feel that I generally feel very optimistic and mm-hmm. and sanguine about it all. But at the same time, every now and then I'll post that, you know, I feel like I want to quit because my voice is not working today or nothing is happening still and I haven't booked anything. I think that's important for people to see that you can be, Absolutely. you don't have to be mm-hmm. one thing or the other. You're not only happy and excited and thrilled and blessed. Mm-hmm. You can be disappointed one day and scared and the other day, you know, and you can go back to being optimistic. It's okay. Well, you are an inspiration to us all, Carolina. And Carolina Pilou, congratulations on your debut at the Met. Congratulations for all your future programs, which I know will be wonderful. And I just want to thank you for being with us on Center Stage. Oh, thank you for having me. You you bet. Carolina Pilou has the statuesque quality of a Jane Mansfield and the vocal ability of a great, great artist. Let's watch for her as she rises within the ranks at the Metropolitan Opera and opera houses around the world. The young woman who once lived with rejection is now embracing success. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs> 